like my three to five year goal is to get my next book out. And then five to seven, I want to start a nonprofit. I want to acquire like a really big piece of land and make it a cultural camp. Bonjour, hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo, Meet Gwaich, for joining us today. Native Lights is, at its core, a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Each and every week, we have wonderful conversations with great guests from a whole lot of different backgrounds. These are musicians, artists, community leaders, doctors, you name it. Most, if not all of them, have a wonderful mixture of passions. So we talk to them about their gifts and how they share their gifts with the community. And it all centers around, you know, purpose in our lives and mm-hmm. sharing those gifts. So I can't wait to continue amplifying voices today. How are you doing, Leah? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Very good. Uh, I, there might be some ambient noise in the background in your... <laughs> yes. Our FedEx driver is now on the other side of this wall. And he was listening to some rock from the late 90s, I believe. <laughs> Please enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> What's new with you, Cole? Not much, um, but I am excited for something that we scheduled out. Maria and I have finally gotten around to reserving a table at Owamni by the sous chef. I know the reservations go out pretty far. We managed to snag one, you know, next month. Um, mm-hmm. So just excited to see see what it has. Well, actually, two months from now, I should say. Mm-hmm. Anyways, wow. very excited to see what the restaurant has to offer and all that. So for those who don't know, Wamni is a modern indigenous full-service establishment right off the banks of Mississippi River in downtown Minneapolis in Mills Ruin Park. And it's a perfect transition and intro to our episode because just like Wamni and sous chef strive for food sovereignty and this awareness of indigenous foods all around us, so too does our next guest. So I'm definitely looking forward to hearing from him and all the work he's doing with you know food sovereignty and you know just giving people an education on all that. So without further ado, our guest today is Derek Nicholas. Derek is a Red Cliff Band of Ojibwe citizen who works at the Division of Indian Work in Minneapolis as the Nutrition Program Coordinator. He is also the founder of Wiesenig LLC, a platform to showcase his food sovereignty work. And I'm excited to talk to him all about that today. All right, Buju, Derek, uh, just to start out, could you, you know, introduce yourself and you know, where you're joining us from? Hello, everybody. My name is Derek. I was born and raised in the Milwaukee area. I'm Red Cliff Band Ojibwe, Bear Clan, and I now reside here in Minneapolis, working at the Division of Indian Work in Wisnig LLC. We also like to ask, you know, how are you doing? How are, how's the family doing uh, during 2022? Uh, things are going good. Uh, my family's actually down in Florida now, so they've been kind of uh, dealing with things post-hurricane, but um, everyone's safe, everyone's doing well, and can't complain. Yeah, I'm glad they're doing, doing well, though. Yeah, glad to hear that. So, Derek, we like to start off our chats by hearing what is on the top of your mind. Is there anything that you're thinking about kicking around that is getting you excited these days? Oh, I'm not too excited about this cold weather, but what comes to mind is right after the cold weather, when it starts to warm up, 
tapping season. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's been on my mind is trying to start a, like a syrup coalition. You know, we have so many trees and they all have unique properties as taste and flavor. And it's such a rigorous process to harvest all that sap and then boil it down into syrup or sugar. So it'd be really cool to start a coalition where an individual or a community can tap a certain type of tree and they can process that down and then trade with someone else in the coalition that's working on a different tree and those type of syrups. That's something I haven't realized or thought about is like different taste profiles or whatever of syrup. Yes, I mean... Uh, I don't know how in depth I can go, but just trying different different syrups. You know, we have a maple sugar, we have birch, box elder, and uh, they just all have different flavors. And as like a chef, it would be cool to experiment with those different flavors when you're working in different ingredients and trying to experiment and such. So I think that'd be really fun. So obviously, you know, food is a very important part of your life. Could you just you know talk about how you got so passionate about you know food, food sovereignty. Um, just what sparked that passion? Well, I guess my passion, well, I've always had a really big passion for food. Like food's just always been on my mind. You know, I'm always wondering what my next meal is going to be. That's kind of what I'm like known for in the family. I'm just always eating, always looking for food. <laughs> I was just, that's just what I did. Mm-hmm. But then coming to college, I started like getting more connected with uh, my native culture and learning more about that. And I started working in the Native American garden. And that kind of consisted working with our native seeds. So I was working with native seeds that all had stories and songs with them, passed down from generation to generation. And these seeds are just so amazing because they've never been cross-pollinated. Uh, they just have their true original genetics. They're also good and delicious and provide such high nutritional value. So just learning to work with the seeds obviously turns into food. And then having to learn how to use that food and make uh, something that can provide for the community. So each year we'd host a Native American community feast for the, the town that I was living in. And we took all the produce from that year and hosted a feast that featured our indigenous foods and we'd also talk about culture and land acknowledgements and all that kind of good stuff well i needed to continue my work throughout the summer i decided to stay so i ended up getting a position at the farmer's market and i noticed that there was a lot of uh, low-income families mostly native that couldn't really afford these foods and they're all you know Healthy, nutritious foods. You know, farmers markets are known for that compared to getting it from a grocery store. So I went to the Board of Commerce with uh, Mary Jo Forbord, my supervisor, and we requested funding for SNAP EBT and got awarded for that. So I was the EBT SNAP coordinator over there. And then right around that time, the pandemic hit and the food shelf shut down because it was all managed by higher risk population. So me and Mary Jo, we took up management positions there and reopened it. And at the same time, I was working on my book. I wrote a kind of like a small book that kind of tied together all the food work that I learned throughout my college experience and culture and language. 
So I was putting that together at the same time. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll speak a little bit more about that. Um, so then right after all that graduated, I started working at the Indigenous Food Lab with Sean Sherman and then here at DIW. And just throughout that whole that whole journey, my passion for food just grew more and more and more. And I kind of got to see different aspects inside of the food system and was able to think about things on a bigger scale. And you mentioned that book that you, you published, and that, this was something that you, you did while you're still in college, so no big deal right there. Um, could you talk about that book and just what do you wanted to accomplish with it? Yeah, it's called Eating with the Seasons on the Shinabe, Great Lakes region. And my kind of reason to make it was I just wanted to put something together, like a resource that I wish I had when I was in college. And it was just kind of some basic Anishinaabe Moan language, cultural lessons, and then also some seasonal recipes that incorporated indigenous ingredients. And something that I wanted to do was make it accessible to everybody. And it's what I do with Wisenig LLC. We try to make all of our resources completely free because we want it to be accessible to the community with no barriers. So I made the ebook completely free, which you can find on blurb.com or on my website and I'm working on my next book, which is going to be, it's going to be a nice thick book, hardcover. <laughs> Any preview you can give us on that one? Uh, this is going to be some recipes that I've developed on my own talking about kind of the current state of our food system, my thoughts on where we're at, where we need to go. This should, it should be cool. I, th- I think it's going to turn out really cool. I like food too. Uh, do you have a favorite recipe? Or food prepared a certain way? Oh my goodness, that's such a tough question. Oh, I really love my bison. That's that's for sure. Some of my best bison dishes are my chili Colorado bison, which is like um, I either use like a ribeye or a chuck roast, mostly a chuck, and I like do it in a nice chili sauce. Just turns out great. The kids I make it for, they call it Indian spaghetti, so that's just the name I run it with. But it's like some ground bison seasoned nicely with uh, some wild rice and quinoa with a nice tomato sauce. It kind of tastes like spaghetti. Or um, another good one is my bison bone marrow and tomato tartine, which is just like uh, some bone marrow on like some sourdough with like a little fresh salad on top. Man, that sounds really yeah, good. good. <laughs> and you mentioned also exploring the state of food systems and the future of food systems. How do you see the food system now and how you hook into it with practicing food sovereignty? I just don't think it's at the best state right now. The supply chains are just very uh, restrictive and we're like really reliant on them. You saw that a lot during the pandemic. Um, we weren't getting access to certain things. And it just doesn't make sense how we're just shipping food from across the world, using preservatives, dyes and colorings to keep its color, all these pesticides or besides. We can do these things in a community-based setting and be successful. And I think that's hopefully the future where we can go, but it takes a community to do these things. So do you mean like... I don't know, like, so foraging, farming, and then raising the livestock, so keeping it more local, is that what you mean? 
yeah, doing the best to keep it local and just kind of being reasonable, trying to like eat with the seasons and such. For people who are, you know, trying to live a more sustainable life and get into, you know, gardening and sustaining yourself independently, are there any good first steps you can take? Uh, I'm asking for a friend. That might be me. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of resources out there nowadays. Um, YouTube, you can really put anything in there and find what you're looking for. Or it's always good to just tour farms, local gardens. Um, the people there are always generally really friendly and happy to give advice and tips. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Derek Nicholas, a Red Cliff Band of Ojibwe citizen who works at the Division of Indian Work in Minneapolis as the Nutrition Program Coordinator. Derek is also the founder of Wiesenig LLC, a platform to showcase his food sovereignty work. Can we talk about your role at the uh, Division of Indian Work? Like, when did you get involved there, and what are some of the things you do there? Yeah, so I've been working at Division of Indian Work for about two years now, coming on two years, and I'm the Nutrition Program Coordinator. So one of my main responsibilities is to cook for our programs. We have a whole bunch of different programs. To name a few, we have like the Youth Leadership Development Program, which are young kids that are in school and they'll come after school, we'll pick them up and we'll give them a nice meal, help them with their homework and just act as good mentors to them. We have like a youth leadership council program, which are young adults that were in now the foster care system and we help them with whatever uh, their needs may be. We have a women's birthing and doula group and we have many more groups. So I'll cook for them. Otherwise I'll do community events with the Indigenous Food Network, and we'll do like cooking demos. Um, we've done a few at the Four Sisters Farmers Market, and just kind of doing community food initiatives, whatever uh, those may look like. I also just working with elders. One thing that I've been trying to do is build an Indigenous food pantry at DIW. So having a pantry filled with Native foods where we have access to year-round and or whoever wants to come down and learn about them has access to that. And we're happy to share all those. That is just really wonderful. And does your cooking then reflect the seasons? Yes, I try my best to. I work with uh, Dream World Health and St. Luke's Presbyterian Church, and I get uh, food from them throughout the year. So all that produce, I try to, you know, obviously none of it tries to go to waste. So I cook with what they bring in each week. Could you give us maybe a taste of what that might look like over the course of the year, like in general? Right now I've been getting squash and sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. So I've been, one thing I've been doing is just taking the butternut squash or the gate to salmon, whatever uh, squash variety I have. I also got some acorns. Uh, one thing I like to do is just cut them down in half, uh, scoop out the guts, whatever that needs to go, and just some olive oil, salt, maple syrup, and just roast them into the oven. That's easy. Um, I also just got some sweet potatoes. So I, today I actually did some sweet potato pie with a walnut crust. And then wild rice. Well, I would do wild rice year round just because it's that type of food. Wonderful. I know. It sounds like a really good 
marketing point to come join the programs at DIW. Oh yeah, they they the well, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I give some pushback from the kids. You know, I think if it was their choice, they would have like pizza and hot takis every day. Hot takis. <laughs> <laughs> What's the indigenous version of hot takis? That is, you know, I should start asking that question myself more often. That's a good question. So maybe I could come up with something like that. The indigenous one chip challenge. What is that? Uh, <laughs> uh, so you're the founder of Wiesenig LLC. When did that all come come about? Um, and what are some recent projects you're working on? Um, that came about September 2021. Yeah, so we just hit our one-year anniversary a few months ago. And we're just, uh, it's like a platform to showcase our food sovereignty work. And we like to make educational resources for the community. So making videos or other type of resources for them to have. But then I also do education through cooking demos, classes, um, speaking engagements, doing cultural exchange classrooms and trips or whatever one of the projects i'm working right now is i was just up at red cliff doing a video with some of their elders talking about their experiences with food up at red cliff as a child and uh, we were recording that and i'm gonna edit that down and make a video with that and tomorrow uh, in collaboration with ifn we're Doing a nettles class with Seward Co-op, so that video will be up soon. You've been uh, doing a lot of you know media uh, stuff and speaking engagements and all that. Like, are you normally like a public speaker, or is that something you had to like take on throughout, the, or is it just something you you just natural at? Uh, honestly, that's just something that I had to take on. You know, I I've always hated public speaking. It's really not my thing, and it's it's still not my thing. I, I just do it. Well, you do demonstrations, right? Yeah, demonstrations. Yeah. How long have you been doing food demonstrations for? Probably like a year, year and a half. Do you have mentors and people you look up to when it comes to either cooking or food sovereignty work? Oh, Hope Flan again. She's yeah. just my she's just my favorite. <laughs> yeah. That's great. She's just so generous and teaches me so much, and I'm just forever grateful for her. I love spending time with her. It's just always such a gift. So you must really get into the story behind the food or the what's being foraged or grown. Yeah, of course. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, she's always dropping me off goodies. Just coming to work, coming to DIW and dropping me off. Just like whatever she foraged or just... Some stuff that she'll get. Like she, I got like three muskrats in my freezer right now. <laughs> just that's a phrase I don't think we've had on the show. It's so. always a surprise with her. That's amazing. So Derek, you have three muskrats in your freezer. Now what? Do you have a plan for them? Well, I just got a smoker, so I think I'm gonna try smoking them. Get some smoked muskrat going. Obviously, it's going to be an experiment because I've never had muskrat before. Otherwise, I was thinking about braising them in like a cedar tea. It could be pretty good. What would you say to people who want to get into the line of work you're into, want to get into food sovereignty work? 
uh, stuff like that. Yeah, I think the best thing to do is just go outside and see what you really, what piques your interest. I think food sovereignty has so many different avenues you can go to. I mean, you can look at the water that feeds the plants or the water that feeds the animals. And if you're into the water, if you're a water protector, you can be a water scientist, do my marine biology, look at water quality look at all those different things that affect the water and you can make a difference in that way. Or if you're really into the trees, you can study ethnobotany or ecology. Or if you're really into animals, study about the animals and see how you can make a difference there. Or if you're just really into food and wild food, ethnobotany would be a cool thing to study. Try to take that route. I mean, there's just so many different routes. You don't even have to study anything if you just put your mind into whatever you're passionate about uh, it should all work out i'd say at the beginning of the episode before you joined i was talking about um the wife maria and i finally got reservations to awamni uh in minneapolis i was just curious about you know what your thoughts are on that type of establishment and how it can how it can or should be something that's more prevalent, you know. There should be places that offer indigenous food around that area. Um, I'm just curious about your your thoughts on that restaurant type. Yeah, I love Sean and what he's doing. I think he's leading a great path for everyone that's interested in pursuing that avenue. I think it's, it would be really cool to see different pubs throughout the country that are showcasing the indigenous foods to that area. It just makes a lot of sense. I remember Sean talking about when he was trying to pick like a restaurant category for, you know, like Uber Eats or whatever, or like some type of delivery app, you know, or it was like Google or whatever, you know, how you uh, put in what type of ethnic restaurant it is. That's really two only options was like American or like Indian. They didn't, you know, there was no Native American or first nation foods or indigenous foods there was nothing like that indian as in india as exactly yeah, Just to yeah. Clarify. <laughs> you're listening to native lights where indigenous voices shine native lights is produced by minnesota native news and amper's with support from the minnesota arts and cultural heritage fund today we're speaking with derek nicholas a red lake band of ojibwe citizen who works at the division of indian work in minneapolis as the nutrition program coordinator Derek is also the founder of Wiesenig LLC, a platform to showcase his food sovereignty work. What is your big hope then for the future in food sovereignty and what's your vision? Yeah, so um, like my three to five year goal was to get my next book out. And then five to seven, I want to start a nonprofit. I want to acquire like a really big piece of land and make it a cultural camp. So it would have like, dorm rooms you know for boys and girls where they can camp there throughout the summer or the winter and would have like a big farm gardens outdoor commercial kitchen indoor commercial kitchen so kids can learn how to grow food cook the food there'd be like a workshop there where kids can learn how to work with tools would have elders and residents to teach cultural skills and lead cultural activities and there would just be a place where uh, Kids can come together, connect, learn how to learn a whole bunch of fun stuff. It'd just be like a really cool camp. And, uh, you know, all the food we'd grow and cook would go to our hunger relief programs like soup kitchens, food banks, 
stuff like that. Uh, that's that's my aspirations in the future. It's amazing. I yeah. can't wait to send my child. I will <laughs> in a few years. Oh, <laughs> uh, camp's gonna be cool. We're gonna. I got the vision. Just gotta. I just gotta execute. That's great. What's like one of the more difficult foods to make? Like, what's something that you it took you a while to make? Man, that's a tough question. Okay, then maybe the other way around. Like, what's what's some easy things that we can do at home? You know, that takes into account. You know, indigenous foods that are around us. Like, I think I saw you. You know, were popping wild rice stuff like that. Well, yeah, that's actually one of the little more difficult things to do. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone can pop uh, wild rice. Uh, there's three different ways to do it. You can bring the pan to a really high heat. And just put a little bit of a wild rice in the pan at a time. And you want to keep that pan moving, the wild rice shaking. It's just real easy to burn the wild rice. And once it's burnt, uh, kind of the whole batch is ruined. So once you see the wild rice starting to smoke, it's just right away, you know, it's burnt. So I guess that would have been a good a good one to answer your initial question. Because that was a little bit of a learning curve. Because I, I did burn quite a bit, a few batches learning how to make it. Um, you can also shallow fry it or deep fry it, but it kind of leaves like an oily residue afterwards. So I just like to do it on a dry pan, cook it through that way. Uh, one more thing for me, um, you mentioned Hope Flanagan, who we've actually had on the show. So check that out, listeners. Oh, um, I will. But I saw that you and uh, Hope Flanagan had a, like a demonstration. I'm not sure when it was, but it was on native teas. And I was just curious, like... Could you talk about the varieties of native teas? I mean, not going, you don't have to do every single one, but could you just talk about what tea, the different ways they can help our people? Yeah, so all of our plants are medicine. They all have a gift. Um, every, everything in life has a gift. Every animal, every plant, every human has a gift. And our plant relatives, they have really good medicine in them. So every plant... They help with certain different aspects. You know, one might help the liver. One might help with if you have a cold or a flu. One that might help relax your muscles. Uh, the list goes on and on. So it's just kind of finding the right tea that matches your ailment. We respect our plants a lot because they're very powerful. And, you know, everything can react to people in different ways. So something that might be easy for you to drink as a tea, it might affect somebody in uh in a negative way. So it's always important to kind of consult an elder or somebody that's knowledgeable about the plants before you kind of start experimenting with making teas or mixing drinks, mixing teas or whatnot. I think that's important to add. I really appreciate all your time today. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure being on. Miigwech, Gigawabman. Very driven young man. I'm glad there's so many ambitious people in native communities. He's got a lot of stuff going on, plus future plans, you know, with this indigenous food immersion camp and all that stuff. So great stuff. Right? He's on his second book mm-hmm. with, with hopes to build a camp so future generations can learn. I mean, what else can you ask? That's wonderful. Yeah, and we'll put a link to his book, uh, Eating with the Season, Anishinaabe, Great Lakes Region, uh, on the Minnesota Native News show notes. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much to Derek Nicholas, a red 
Cliff Band, of Ojibwe citizen who works at the Division of Indian Work in Minneapolis as the Nutrition Program Coordinator, and he's also the founder of Wiesenig LLC, a platform to showcase his food sovereignty work. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Gigawapamin. Gigawapamin. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.